You know who I heard is going to make an appearance at the Clash? And I heard this from a very good source. I overheard it. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Tommy Dreamer, you'll relive the turmoil and anguish of an uncertain youth. Quote the Raven. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to January of 1995 for part two of uh, this month's edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Uh, part one, which you'll probably already have heard, but we've not taped yet, um, is going to be covering the WWF, um, basically the Royal Rumble. Uh, and this half, basically the other half of the January 95 show, uh, we're going to be looking at ECW, which we're going to kick things off in a minute, and at the second half of this bit, uh, we'll be talking about WCW and the Clash of the Champions. Um, I'm being joined, first of all, for the ECW Center by Del Muir, Del Grooney. Hi, Bob. Uh, we're going to start with the news for ECW and WCW uh, from January. Del, kick us off. Yeah, starting this month, Bob at WCW, we actually seen the TV return to Ric Flair this month. Um, it was announced on a, an episode of Saturday night just before the Clash of the Champions, um, but he simply walked out during the, the middle of the Clash itself, took a seat with a couple of girls in the floor section of the arena, otherwise wasn't really featured on the on the show. Um, he's been off TV since quote-unquote retiring back in October after the feud with Hogan. And while it is expected he will eventually return to the ring, this wasn't alluded to thus far. Um, it's speculated Flair's return to the ring is going to be in May at Slambury, and the rumour is that he's going to be teaming with Vader, going up against the team of Hogan and Savage. Jean-Paul Levesque, seen as one of the big future stars in WCW, handed in his notice to the company this month, leaving for a contract with the WWF. It said that Levesque turned down an offer of between $1,500 and $1,800 per week with WCW in favour of an offer without guaranteed money from the WWF. It said he cited the track record of the two companies in creating new stars in a decision, despite WCW wanting to pair him with Lord Stephen Regal and give him a tag team championship belt. It said that Eric Bischoff was fuming over his lack of loyalty, believing he took him from nothing and got no thanks in return. Levesque dropped to Alex Wright on during subsequent TV tapings, but balked the idea of losing to Sting on WCW Saturday night. And also talking of Eric Bischoff, he was over in Tokyo at the beginning of last month announcing the, the renewal of the relationship between WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, it was in front of over 60,000 fans, and the deal itself is set to include TV programming as well as talent being shared with the two companies. Um, it's thought New Japan are going to be sending over talent for WCW's upcoming cruiserweight tournament. Um, Sabu, the, the ECW wrestler, was also a topic of discussion. It said Bischoff got his first look at him during this show, and he was so impressed he wanted to sign him exclusively to use him in the the United States. Um, Sabu has reportedly turned this deal down, um, but many are surprised that Bischoff hadn't offered terms to Sabu already before he agreed that deal with New Japan last month, it was reported, and more so it could actually be the first time that Bischoff's even seen him wrestle. WCW Clash of the Champions 30 emanated from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas with a largely uneventful show, despite Ric Flair's comeback. 
There are no title changes on the show, but these had, but these had happened earlier in the month. Asylum Heat defeated Stars and Stripes for the tag team titles in a match taped in December that aired on January the 14th. And perhaps as a goodbye message to the Honky Tonk Man, I Anderson defeated Johnny Bad at the first available opportunity on the live January the 8th edition of WCW Saturday Night. Back at the Clash, Alex Wright defeated Beautiful Bobby. The Guardian Angel turned heel and renamed himself Big Bubba, while special guest refereeing between Sting and Avalanche. And Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage defeated Kevin Sullivan and The Butcher. More on this in the second half of the show. And over at ECW, um, could possibly see the worst match in their short history this month. It took place between Shane Douglas and Tully Blanchard. They fought to a 43-minute time limit draw. It was billed as 60 but 43 minutes, those two went. It was so bad that during the match, the fans were actually chanting, we want bingo, and who booked this crap? Um, some even turned their back on the match, and the public enemy duly ripped on the quality of the match during one of their promos later in the month. Um, Blanchard is with the, the company as a bit of a continuance of the Shane Douglas and Ric Flair feud. The idea at ECW being that Douglas can have this feud vicariously with Flair, um, Players' peers. Um, Barry Wyndham was also contacted about doing something similar, but due to the ongoing lawsuit he's got with WCW, wasn't able. Um, in other ECW news, the company did over $7,000 in merchandise sales recently. Um, it was in their short two-show um, two tour of Florida. Um, it was an immense return on the, the combined gate of just under a 1,000 people, but they were meant to be said to be mainly videotape sales. There has been lots of concerns internally in WCW regarding the current use of the hotline, specifically pertaining to the name-dropping of certain talent with a view of implying that they could be arriving in WCW. Names mentioned on television in the last month or so regarding the hotline include Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Lex Luger, Jesse Ventura, Jim Ross and others. Four of those names are very much still with the WWF, although Luger's contract did expire this month. And a couple of smaller WCW news stories to wrap up. Firstly, expect the Steiner brothers to return to WCW shortly, anticipated to be at WCW's March pay-per-view called WCW Uncensored. It's also expected that from May onwards they will be raising the price of their pay-per-views from $24.95 to $27.50 to better justify Hulk Hogan's cut. to the ECW part of the show. Um, Del, pretty much handing over to you. You've got all the TV notes and all the match reviews, so far Yeah, away. a couple of big things in TV. This month, probably we'll start with just before going through a, a full TV review of the month. Um, following up for last month in December, we announced that Steve Richards had claimed that he'd made a, 
He'd made a discovery of Scott Levy, the former WWF manager, Johnny Polo. True to his word, the Raven character was introduced to ECW this month. It was played by Levy. Um, it was followed up by a couple of strong promos during the month that we'll be hearing interspersed in the show. And it looks as if he's going to be starting a rivalry with Tommy Dreamer. Um, at this point, two have still to meet and Dreamer's reaction still, uh, still to be heard during the, on the TV show. But it does look to be a promising rivalry that's going to be starting soon. And next, the Bad Breed, Ian and Axel Rotten. They recently lost a match to Jason's Pitbulls for the outcome of the match with forced the losing team to split up. Got a match review coming up for it in a little while, but after their loss, Ian would attack Axel, leading to a feud between the two brothers in the near future. And after our fellow horseman Arn Anderson appeared last year, Tully Blanchard appeared on Hardcore TV this month. He was embroiled in a feud with Shane Douglas and received a match with the franchise for the ECW title, which we heard about at the start of the show. It's still aired on TV, but after the reports of the live audience, it appears we might not be seeing that any time soon. Um, Douglas would then cut an exemplary promo aimed at Blanchard that we'll hear later on, criticising his hypocritical comments decrying the actions of the horsemen in the 80s, and claiming he, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko are the best example of the legacy left by the WCW faction. And lastly, Mikey Whipwreck celebrated his first anniversary as an ECW competitor last month. He would renew his rivalry with TV champion, or former TV champion, Jason, whose newest asset is Mikey's first ever tag team partner, Paul Loria. Let's do some shout-outs, Rocco. Oh, yeah, Johnny. First of all, I'd like to make a shout-out to our good friends, Sapo and Taz, the two bums that could never beat the public enemy. <laughs> shout-out. And second of all, let's give a shout-out to the crippler, Chris Benoit, and the shooter, Mr. D. Malika, because they don't mind being the second tag team in the ECW behind, of course, public enemy. Shout out! Oh, Johnny, I'd like to make a quick shout out to all my friends down at Titan Towers because every week they be talking about us. God, every single week they be saying good things about us because they keep saying the new generation, the new generation, and everybody knows the new generation must be the ECW. Thank you, bitch! <laughs> and, uh, and Rocco, let's give a shout out to our good buddy, the franchise! Mr. Shane Douglas! Yeah, but not only torturing Tully Blanchard for one single hour, but all the MECW fans for one single hour! Oh, Mr. Franchise, please call a public enemy to get the job done! Somebody do the job! <laughs> So onto the TV review proper, starting on the 3rd of January. Big, big focus on Mikey, as we said there. He's got his first anniversary now that he's been in the ECW ring. We've seen a, a short match with Donnie Allen, which Mikey eventually won, but during the match it was interspersed with a highlight package of Mikey's year in 1994. Um, the background to the the music video that's pretty popular with ECW was the tune of Beck's Loser. Um, it showed Mikey's struggles with Mr. Hughes, the Pitbulls and the Public Enemy. And then it switched to the fluke wins that he got for the, the TV title, the defence of that, and then the tag title with Cactus last year as well. Um, after the, the match which Mikey won with Donnie Allen, we then cut to ringside and Joey Styles is interviewing Paul Laurier, Mikey's first ever tag team partner. He then faked happiness for Mikey, pretending to congratulate him before then attacking 
Twickenham. Um, after Mikey had got the the worst of Paul Laurie, it was then revealed that Jason had actually signed Paul Laurie to his stable. And on to the 10th of January, start the show with, as we alluded to in the news, Steve Richards at ringside with Joey Styles. He introduces his new character, The Raven. Um, new recurring segment for the month, which I actually thought was pretty interesting, Bob. I don't know about you, it was the Extreme Encyclopedia. Um, we've seen in this one Sandman, or Smokus Brawlerus, Woman, or Foxus Greedius, and Too Cold Scorpio, or Grappless Acrobatus, um, all kind of set to, to medieval music. What did you think of this, Bob? Um, yeah, no, I was, um, it was fine. It was a, it was a nice thing. They, I think they had them on, on every show, or certainly the, 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 the couple that followed. Very um, much. I mean, it's handy for people coming into the, the show for yeah. the first time as well, obviously, trying to kind of get an idea who, who people are. Because, I mean, ECW, as we've spoken about, is a pretty episodic program where you can follow the storylines week to week. Everything's pretty much got a, got a meaning. So I thought it was pretty good of them to put these, put these in. Um, last bit in the, the 10th of January, we've got two cold Scorpio in the ring. Calls out the shooter Dean Malenko and the crippler Chris Benoit. The two youngsters then come out, work him over, but Scorpio has actually got a scheduled match with Sandman. Um, so Scorpio is in a pretty bad way. Sandman arrives for his scheduled match as normal, but some, uh, somehow Scorpio manages to get the get the win. Um, after he gets the the pinfall over Sandman, Benoit and Malenko then come back uh, pick up the scraps. And on to the 17th of January, we've then got the first vignette for the new character Raven. Um, it's set to Nirvana's teen spirit, and he's referred to by Johnny Styles as the twisted vision of Generation X. Um, as we said in the news, looks to be setting up a, a rivalry with Tommy Dreamer at this point, but as we said, they've still to meet on the, on the show. The world is full of kings and queens. They'll blind your eyes and steal your dreams. Kurt Cobain didn't make it and left an entire generation of tortured souls behind. Tommy Dreamer, take heed, quote the raven, nevermore. Referring back to the 3rd of January, the Mikey Whitbreck and Paul Laurier rivalry. Got a quick match here that was pretty impressive for, for Mikey's minimal offence. It was a really good TV match that we, that we got from these two. Um, the highlight, I don't know about you, Bob, but it had to be that, that crossbody from Mikey. Um, just for anybody that didn't see it at the conclusion of the, the match, Mikey basically climbed to the top rope. While Laurie, I was outside. He was really kind of trying to do a bit of a runner from Mikey. It was probably he was, actually, he, he was in the second row, yeah. He second or third row, row, yeah. Um, Mikey's in the top row. Laurie's in the second or third row. Mikey just leaps from the top row over the ring side, over the barrier, over the first couple of rows, and lands dead on dead on Paul Laurie. Um, kind of the crowd just really erupted at this point. They were they were pretty into the. The match, obviously, Mikey's got that kind of underdog spirit that we've seen from him in the last few months. The crowd really got behind him. Great heat with with Jason as well. Um, Laurie actually stole the the top rope bulldog from Mikey to get the to get the win, and then there was a bit of a a beat down with Paul Laurie and Jason cheering Mikey at the end as well. Um, but it's a really good TV match for these two. It could have a bit of bit of legs for this in the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, we will. You know, I mean, uh, going back to that spot, I mean, what I think was 
was most impressive about it was well, other than the move itself, because um, it didn't. When you see Michael Mikey jump, it doesn't actually look all that impressive. Yeah. Um, but what I admired about it was the way that they they held the camera as wide as possible, so you kind of didn't really have much depth perception when Mikey jumps, and because of the way it's lighted, he kind of jumps from from the light into the darkness because the crowd aren't really lit and so he jumps forward and then he kind of disappears and then he just lands and it's a great jump it's an impressive bit of athleticism from mikey um but what i kind of thought was was really good because to be clear about paul laurie they're calling him the giant he's five foot two that's <laughs> that's like that's a really kind of they're calling him the giant with the straight face as well um, but what I well, after all, is, Bob Jason is the sexiest man in the world. So. Well, that's true. Um, but but more kind of the point is that they're 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 calling they're calling him the giant, but he he is five foot two. But the, the the kind of the best part of it is that they've clearly kind of saw looked at Miking on okay, and 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 to underline as well that January third show is some excellent work kind of recapping Mikey Whitrack in 94 but they basically gone okay well, we, if we're going to develop the Mikey character a bit further we can't keep having him win these fluky ways so he's going to have to quote unquote improve as, as, a, as a wrestler certainly in the eyes of the TV viewer by facing someone who he can wrestle against so they brought in somebody who's similar kind of height similar kind of size and he had uh, you're right Al, he had a, a, a very good match I thought Really a TV match, yeah. And I mean, it would probably have been match of the night, Bob, but as you probably told with uh, the amount of match reports we've coming up, really, really strong month for ECW with, uh, with the in-ring stuff as opposed to the angles that we've seen recently. Um, the next match that we're going to run through was actually a, a debutant in ECW. It was a snowman, Hal Snow, and he was going up against a, a familiar face from the NWA title tournament back in August, the Sam and Ishimura. Um, just... Totally different for I think what anybody would be expecting from from ECW. It was just a, a total wrestling masterclass. Um, can I really grappling grappling start there? Um, almost a catch as catch can kind of wrestling style, but the crowd do get into it. Um, couple of hammer locks and toe holds earlier on, really equal, both reversed. Um, Styles, Joy Styles, really great on the call as well. A lot of moves getting told that you. Can I maybe wouldn't see in a, a WCW or particularly a WWF show where everything gets called. Um, and just really sound wrestling logic as well. Um, they're a backbreaker to Nishimura. Snow then works the back. Nishimura then goes for the, the figure four after Al Snow not misses a, a knee drop as well. Just totally sound logic. Um, some strong style in the middle as well. Some strong slaps and forearms for each of them. Um, a couple of reverse goal behinds. Al Snow gets the, a perfect wheelbarrow suplex on him. Um, Nishimura goes for a, a couple of top rope drop kicks for a two count, and then Al Snow gets the, the one after suplex, and Nishimura went to the ropes, hits a springboard guillotine for the win. Just an absolute sound wrestling match, Bob. Yeah, no, um, this is the kind of match I shouldn't like. This is the kind of match that's too wrestling orientated, too kind of holds and counter holds and submissions, and the kind of match that would ordinarily take me out at the moment in terms of it doesn't really look like a fight. And while there was a lot of that in this, I really enjoyed this match because it I think they timed it perfectly, didn't they? Mm, and there was so little wastage as well. So often yeah. one, one of the things I don't like about this style of wrestling is that it seems like a lot of a lot of movement is is wasted movement. A lot of it is like headlock, chin lock, run around, flip about for no reason, kind of you know, do the bit where they do the kind of you know, what one more kind of like 
push off the other on the ground and one will bridge using their neck. And I'm like, what are you doing? But there wasn't really a lot of that here. And when they needed the big spot, they went to it. And the finish was great. I mean, the, yep. not not the best finish on the show. We'll come to that in a minute. But the finish with with the you got Anishimura kind of draped over the top rope, kind of in the middle come in line with the apron and then Al Snow jumps to the top rope and, and drops a knee onto the back of his head and then he flips back into the ring and pins him that was really good and Al Snow's a guy who apparently has been around for a while on the indie scene without really making a name for himself yeah reminds me a little bit Dell of the one two three kid there's definitely that see Tim he's got that kind of mixture of the the kind of almost martial arts aspect to him but then the high flying as well I think it's a pretty a pretty decent comparison there Bob we've seen kind of I- the kid getting compared to Mikey with the kind of underdog side of it. But as you say, you can also compare him to the snowman with this, this kind of technical mixture with, with aerial ability as well. And you um, could also compare them in the sense that neither one has a discernible gimmick. Well, yeah. That kind of, Alf Snow's got that kind of, the gimmick itself is no gimmicks really in ECW. Even Joey Styles introduced them at the start. We don't need any fancy nicknames. Alf Snow's a wrestler and you're going to see well, him they, wrestle. They, they, they call him the snowman, which like, I mean, that, can, yeah, but can, you, can you imagine like if he ends up getting signed by WWF? He hasn't got a hope. He's called Al Snow. The, the, the awful gimmick is already there. Like, I mean, if, if he gets an offer from them, run a mile would, would be my advice because he hasn't got a hope. But then again, if he goes to WCW, Bob, there's a, a tag team in waiting there, the snowman in the avalanche. That's true. Very good. So well done. Well done. Let's right, just carry hope on. He, he keeps it with ECW to try and make a better name for himself first so he doesn't get landed with that in the future. Um, but the the next thing on the Hardcore TV, again, on the 17th of January, just get a quick public, uh, public enemy on location vignette. Series can intersperse throughout the the month, but this one's got Rocco and Johnny giving shout-outs to the ECW roster by name, and then even gives a shout-out to Vince at Titan Towers for realising that his, his new generation's actually in reference to ECW. Make it that what you will. Um, as you were saying, Bob, finishes on the finishes in the show, that Al Snow one was pretty good. The best one of the, the night, though, and possibly the month has to be the, the next match. It was the bad breed. Ian and Axel Rotten, as we said at the start of the show, they were going up against the Pitbulls. Um, just kind of cutting to the the end of this match. It was a really decent TV match, but with the amount of reviews that we've got this month, we'll just skip to the the end to let everybody know how that how that worked out, just in case you missed it. Um, and the the ring, pretty solid kind of fist fight really with these two these two teams. Um, we've then got the the finish of the match coming itself. There's a DDT in the middle as well, where a chair in the ring that looked pretty brutal. Both of the both of the guys kind of bloodied involved in it as well. Um, but the the end of it ended up with Axel um, Axel Rotten laying up the Pitbull one, and it was laying him up to Ian that was in the on the kind of top rope, ready to go for a power bomb for the top rope to end the the pit bulls and get the three count. But the pit bull actually manages to reverse the power bomb attempt from the top rope into a hurricane runner or a Frankensteiner if you prefer. And then Axel turns back, faces the crowd, pretty confident, counts the one, two, three with the ref without looking. But little known to him, it's actually his brother that's been pinned after that Hurricane Rana, and the Pitbulls get the get the three count. Um, after this, as we said at the start of the show, you then just 
turns an axle for his just the sheer lethargy of what he was doing at the at the end. He gets a chair, starts battering his brother on the outside, rolls him into the ring, almost looks as if he's going to be going for a pile driver or a DDT onto the chair as well. But we cut to black and it looks as if we're going to be going to be seeing this this rivalry develop. What did you think of this, Bob? I have rarely in my life cheered the end of a wrestling match. It was really great, wasn't it? But, was that a... but when he sets, when he turns to the crowd and starts posing and you can see what's going on, I was beaming with pride. This was, this was a phenomenal finish just because, because he didn't turn around and the rest starts pinning and he turns to the crowd and he counts the three. Yeah. Like, this is immense. I mean, whoever came up with that finish, like, just never book a wrestling show again because you're never going to get as good as that. It was just perfect. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, we've spoke about this 17 show, Bob. I mean, people turning into, turning into ECW for the first time after the, the stories of the Sandman Dreamer stuff and the extreme name. It's just been a total, total fresh air here with the, the Al Snow match. The finish to that bad breed pit bulls, as you say, was epic. It sets up another rivalry. It was just totally out of the, out of the norm. And as I say, it's definitely a, a month of ECW that maybe most people wouldn't be expecting the amount of, kind of good finishes, the strong wrestling in the middle, the storytelling is good as always, just a brilliant in-ring one for ECW in January No, I mean, I, what, one thing I kind of say is that we, we, we look back at previous months and, and, and we praise them and rightly so, but what we're often praising is the odd great angle, you know, the, the Douglas promo when he threw down the title or, you know, any of the things that really happened with Sandman and Dreamer. We were often calling great TV what in reality was some very good stuff, but with excellent moments what i think this month was more than any of the last kind of five or six we reviewed was that there was nothing especially special about anything in any of these shows really there was nothing extraordinary and yet it was all really good to watch and i think this show is the best example of it there was no real shortcuts in any of the three matches there was no real massive story going into any of the three matches either beyond read the bad brain the pit bulls but that's going to be building for a month and yet they've taken what you would call mid-card stuff and, and presented an excellent show. And that would be my kind of thing for the month, in that there was no great moment here, but there was a lot of really watchable stuff. <laughs> you know something, Tully Blanchard? You have a penchant for coming out here in front of the TV camera and talking about all this preaching that you've done. Well, let me do a little preaching to you, sir. Look deep into my eyes because a man long time ago said to look to a man's soul, you look through the eyes. Tully Blanchard, through these searing eyes, I'm going to give you a sermon, Mr. Minister. A long time ago, my father told me, son, don't ever stick your hands onto another man's plate of food because if you do, he might just cut off your hand. Tully Blanchard, when you stuck your nose into my business the first time around, I figured, okay, you're a great wrestler, and so I'll wrestle you for 60 minutes. You impressed me, Tully Blanchard. But this last time, when you stuck your nose into my business, when you tried to take the franchise and knock him off that top rung of the ladder, you did so after I took Ron Simmons and put him down and made him submit, made him TKO right outside of the ring in his home state of Florida. It didn't matter FSU, former star or not, right on his home turf, in front of an awe crowd as the mouth dropped open to the floor and they saw Ron Simmons surrender to the man they call franchise. And then you, sir, you had the guts to come down to the ring after I had set the belt down, after challenging anybody with guts in the building to step into the ring with the franchise. 
And I started making my move on the punks that thought he was going to be the man to do that. And then you, Pearl Harbor me from behind. What you've done, Tully Blanchard, is you've taken my temperature and you've raised it just a few notches. What you've done is gotten my attention, Tully Blanchard. You've come out here and talking and preaching about how you used to suck up the cocaine and then told everybody in TV land, don't do it. And you talked about how you drank until you couldn't see straight and then went on TV and told everybody, don't do it. And then you talked about how you'd go and fuck women out of the bars. And then you came on TV and said, don't do it. Why, you two-faced no good. Let me tell you something, Tully Blanchard. If you take a look around me, the spectacle that they call the franchise, the man that wears the gold, the world's heavyweight champion, is not about to relinquish this addiction just yet. The addiction known as the world's heavyweight champion, the ECW, world's heavyweight belt. I've got it coursing through my veins, Tully Blanchard, and I'm not about to give it up now. You know, it wasn't just too long ago that I was a rookie sitting back in that dressing room, and I used to watch on the monitor and think to myself, what would it be like? What would it be like if Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and Ric Flair and J.J. Dillon and all the rest of them saw what I had deep inside, saw the seed, the plan that I had planted deep in my head to be the very best in this sport one day? Would you have dumped me like you've done to so many people in that ring in your past as one of these? But you see, Tully Blanchard, tonight what we gave you was a taste of your own medicine. It didn't take four of us, it took three of us. Call it the triple threat. Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and the franchise, Shane Douglas, took you at your very own game, at the horseman's very own game, and we gave you a taste of your own medicine, Tully Blanchard. Next time, next time you stick your nose in for the gold to try to clear me of my addiction, I'm gonna smack you right upside your head and I'm going to take you down and give you even more of what the four horsemen dished out for years. And Father Time has robbed them of the ability to do that anymore. The triple threat, Tully Blanchard, is coming for you. It's coming for your career, Tully Blanchard. The end of the line is near. The next time you and I step into the ring together, when you take that dotted line and mark your name on it, put your John Hancock right down Tully Blanchard sealed your doom, Tully Blanchard, because the franchise and the triple threat are going to deal out to you more than any horseman's ever dealt out, more than any man can take, more than Tully Blanchard will be able to withstand. And at the end of it all, the triple threat will rule supreme, people will raise three fingers in reverence, and the franchise will still be the world's heavyweight champion. <laughs> And leading on to the 24th of January, start off the the show with a really good solid match with Two Cold Scorpio and Chris Benoit. Um, really good kind of grudge feel to the match, obviously with the the crippler Chris Benoit gimmick really developing after he's basically just really trying to cripple people into into submission as we've seen with Sabu in recent times. Um, really strong kind of start to the the match. Benoit having to take a couple of moments on the outside to recuperate from the the moves for Scorpio really lightning fast at the at the start of it and great athletic agility for two cold as we're used to. Um, but midway through we then get a neck breaker onto Scorpio, really heavy sell on this and Benoit really starts to control as the, the match slows down. Um, modified Boston Crab in the middle of it, really pushing the pressure onto Scorpio's neck as per that 
that injury and we even hear one of the, the crowd shouting out get up too cold kick him in the balls which kind of pops the crowd a little bit um, then get a, a belly back suplex as we've seen for Benoit gets a two count and manages to get a snap made into a neck hold but again another beautiful bit of manoeuvre this month after the neck holds on Scorpio for Benoit kind of reverses it almost into like a pelly like a pelly overhead kick that you might see in football or soccer um, really nice really nice move and starts to kind of get the get the, the kind of baby face back into the match um, Benoit tries a um, tries a couple of suplexes gets Scorpio but Scorpio is really building that, that heat back up and gets a couple of splashes for the top rope and then a standing to 70 degrees centre onto Benoit as well a um, couple of two counts from each guys Benoit gets another couple of suplexes too cold then gets a leapfrog hits a bit of a mule kick and then crotches, crotches Benoit on the top rope hits a decent super kick Scorpio goes for the tombstone but Benoit reverses it into a tombstone in his own way another two count and after all the false finishes the crowd really start to start to heat up um, Benoit goes for a back suplex reverses it from from mid-air it was in the, the turnbuckle Scorpio manages to reverse it into a cross body gets a, a two count again and then a lovely moonsault for Scorpio as well onto, onto Benoit and the mat um, later on the match Scorpio goes for the roll up but Benoit sits down on it manages to get the three and another solid match for the month Bob yeah I mean uh, not much to add in terms of you know, there wasn't much incident or anything to, to majorly discuss but a very very good wrestling match this yeah just another one very for, the, good. for the month um, after the after the, the match itself with Too Cold and, and Benoit, got another review of that, that Raven vignette from last week, but we've then got his first promo of the month as well, detailing his, his broken childhood. The pain and suffering of a childhood lost. An empty swing, an empty promise, a broken dream, a broken home. It's strange how laughter looks like crying with no sound. And raindrops taste like tears without the pain. Tommy Dreamer, you'll relive the turmoil and anguish of an uncertain youth. Quote the raven. And just covering the end of the 24th of January show, we've got Shane Douglas and Ron Simmons, as we'd spoke of at the, at the last month leading into this month. Their rivalry really picked up. Um, just a quick kind of coverage of the, at the end of the match on the, the 24th of January. Um, it was Shane Douglas going up against Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons obviously carrying that, that fractured shoulder that's been alluded to and came out with a, a sling. During the match, Ron Simmons really, really commanding actually with the one arm that he did have. Inevitably though, Shane Douglas gets the, the upper hand, works that shoulder over. The sling comes off as well. Um, and the referee actually calls for the bell as per the, the injury to Simmons. 
but we've then got Douglas cutting a, a promo on Florida. Um, they were in tour at this point, cuts a promo on them, basically trying to get himself booed out of the building. The ring's starting to fill out with debris, but Tully Blanchard comes back out to, to challenge Douglas. Um, Joey Styles and commentary really selling the fact that it's a, the old Tully Blanchard, the Tully Blanchard, the old fighter that comes out, and he absolutely goes to try and kind of kill Shane Douglas. But then again, we've got Malenko and Benoit coming out at the end, attacking Blanchard, and most notably Shane Douglas even gets the, the figure four on Tully at the end. And last show in the month, 31st of January, got a bit of a cold open with Joey Styles, starting with a almost kind of shoot style video backstage. Um, it cuts to the, the ring saying they need a camera there right now. And again, leading back to a couple of months ago, we've got the Florida fans, um, Florida fans recreating a spot for last year where they filled the empty ring with their own steel chairs at the end of the show. Harking back to obviously the times with Terry Funk and Cactus back in August, September of last year. And another couple of solid matches on the, the 31st of January. First up, we've got another tag team match between the Public Enemy and Taz and Sabu. It was the four of these guys going head to head in a, a really solid tag kind of brawl as much as anything else as you'd expect for these four guys. They really managed to do it well with kind of keeping a couple of guys in the ring at one time, but then having a couple in the crowd as well. Um, really innovative stuff as we're used to from Sabu. Springboard leg drop to the outside. There's a springboard corkscrew moonsault onto Johnny Grunge as well. Rocco manages to, to come up and save his, save his partner. Um, we then get some of the extreme stuff with some frying pans getting used as well. And we even see Taz launching Rocco Rock into a fire extinguisher cabinet. Um, Johnny's, Johnny Grunge is kind of bloodied up at this point, but they manage to get rid of Taz in the, the middle of the ring. Sabu manages to somehow take them both out when I say moonsault again. And then Taz gets back in to hit them with a couple of double, uh, double Japanese arm drags as well. Um, there's a lovely standing moonsault to, um, Rocco Rock from Sabu. Again, Grunge then makes the, makes the save for his partner. Again, Sab, um, suplexes from Taz, just as, as good as you're going to see anywhere else. Manages to nail Johnny, nail Rocco, but then we've got 911 on the outside with Paul E as well. 911 manages to get a, get a hold of Johnny. Taz looks for a, a top ropes, a top rope suplex on him. But Rocco tables him, gets him kind of flying through the, the table. It looks like a pretty, pretty messy bump. Um, Sabu then goes for a row and sent on onto Johnny on the, the table as well. Um, Rocco actually manages to get the, the pin on Taz. The bell rings, but then 911 comes in, chokes out the ref. Rocco Rock tries to kind of hit 911, chop the tree down with a, a couple of chair shots. 911 just no sells them, choke slams Rocco as well, choke slams the referee, and we get another solid promo from Polly dangerously at the end. Yeah, I mean, um, my only real, well, I, I have criticism with this match and, and the Cactus Jack match and Sandman match that follows being on the same show because they, they, they sort of kind of took away from each other, both being in such close proximity. But this is a really good brawl, a really good tag team type brawl with a lot of weaponry. The only real criticism I'd have would be that the finish with Rocco Rock kind of punching Taz off the top rope through the door, off the turnbuckle through the table, kind of looked a bit weak in that it would... It almost felt like they were trying to sell the table spot was the bit that knocked Taz out rather than the punch. The punch, the, the punch didn't look very strong. 
Um, but other than that, a really good brawl. Sabu's fantastic, but we know that anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the, just, 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 just the goal, the idea to go, yeah, while they're, while we're finishing the match in the middle of the ring, I'm just going to do a springboard centron over the top rope <laughs> to the outside through Johnny Grunge through a table. Just like the, the idea of that. But this was, this was a very, very nice walking brawl. We spend our entire youth in a room just like this. Childhood, supposed to be a time of bliss, a world of knowledge opened up before you. Unless, of course, you're different, a misfit, an outcast, and then what should have been a glorious memory becomes a hideous scar that refuses to fade. You can deny it. You can hide it. You can repress it. But ultimately, Tommy Dreamer, you can never forget it. Tommy Dreamer, you will return to the inescapable horror of the classroom of your youth except this time you will not graduate quote to Raven and the last match for the month false count anywhere match between Cactus Jack and Sandman um, right at the start we really don't get a minute to catch a breath Cactus is out with a, a metal trash can levels the Sandman pretty much wrecking the, the trash can itself then grabs a chair batters Sandman on the outside with that rams him into the post then gets him into the, the ring. Sandman's just laid out at this point. The crowd's really, really cheering Cactus. He manages to choke the, the Sandman in the rope, but they're a kick out at one. Um, there's a neck break at the Sandman as well. Goes for a, a leg drop. Again, can't get over than a, more than a one count. At this point, women obviously just worried for, for the Sandman. Gets the cane, tries to cane Cactus from the outside. But then Cactus goes after him, Sandman gets back into the, tries to get back into the match we're going for Cactus, but Cactus sees it coming, Sandman gets a punch for his troubles, um, Sandman kind of gets the, the chairs back, kind of gets into, gets into Cactus, he then gets a, I think it was a can of soda, um, batters sat Cactus Jacko for the head with a can of soda as well, hits him again with a garbage can, tries to flatten it out with his, with his feet, but during this time Cactus managed to grab a chair and get back to the Sandman. Um, Sandman hits a low blow to Cactus, DDTs him onto the bin, and then does that top rope leg drop that we spoke about last month, nailing Cactus again. Um, we then get another couple of weapons, one, I think it might be a new one for his Bob, a toy, a kind of plastic toy snake that we've seen during this match. Um, Sandman gets choked out with, with that, and as it's false count anywhere, we get a two count on the outside. Um, at this point, the match takes a bit of a turn. This Cactus goes to punch the Sandman, but the Sandman holds up that trash can and Cactus's hands burst open. Um, couple of guys, the couple of guys are really kind of toiling at this point after all the, the kind of brutal shots that they've been taking, but Sandman gets a couple of shots with that squashed trash can into Cactus's hand. Um, another beautiful long standing pile driver for Sandman onto the trash can. And then at the end of the, the match, we see Cactus managing to get a comeback and does that, that elbow that we've really missed in the last couple of, 
the months that he was with WCW, that trademark elbow off the apron, out to the outside for the win, manages to get the Sandman pinned at ringside after that elbow, but his, his hand is really bleeding at this point, at the, at the match is closed, we've got women coming in again, tries to cane Cactus, but Cactus gets the cane off her, Sandman then just absolutely annihilates him with the with the cane, I mean it was as bad as what we were seeing last year with, with Tommy Dreamer, there's several headshots, he then lights a cigarette, more shots to the body and the head, just absolutely sickening, sickening shots to Cactus, and he actually then goes to blind Cactus with his cigarette, as per was seen with, with Tommy Dreamer apparently doing his Sandman a couple of months ago, but Mikey Whipwreck comes in, makes the save, and then we fade to the, the backstage area, a couple of promos from Sandman, women, they just look maniacal and deadly, and we then get another solid Cactus Jack promo in response to that, heavily bandaged up, and he'd say that he's seen, he's seen the Sandman as more of his protege, but now he doesn't care anymore. As brawls go, that's about as good as it's going to get in that kind of environment, in terms of two guys, and Sandman's not a, well, he's not a very good worker at all, actually, and Cactus Jack is at best an excellent brawler and a good wrestler. This was excellent. I mean, there's no yeah. real way of dressing it up. I mean, the trash can early on and the innovative, I mean, they, they bent the crap out of that trash can come the end of it and the amount of times yeah. they hit each other with it. Um, and all the innovative spots, women added to the match. They just worked so hard. That was, exactly. I think that was so impressive. It wasn't necessarily great action. It was two guys who were just like, yeah, we're just going to beat the living crap out of each other. Um, and in the end, uh, that was probably their best, the best match of ECW this month was probably that one. Yeah, I mean, looking back at the full month as well, Bob, I mean, we spoke so much about the storylines and the angles that the ECW has been producing, and I think a lot of people sometimes look at the the wrestling as maybe a bit of an after effect when it comes to ECW, but this full month, pretty much in every episode, you're going to have one, three or four, maybe even greater, three or four star match. And everything's just been really planned. As you see, that stuff with Cactus and Sandman, there was the spots with the, the trash can, obviously with the fan involvement, there's only so much you can control, but they've done the absolute best with the stuff that they had, whether it's baiting trays or toy snakes. The, the stuff with Cactus's hand, again, it was just really solid wrestling logic. The end of it was really well built up, and those couple of promos at the end just polished it. And man, somewhere deep inside this demented mind, there lurks a soft spot. A soft spot for the things that have gone through my life. A soft spot for the wrestling history in my life. A soft spot, Sandman, for you. Because you are a part of my wrestling history. Five years ago when Cactus Jack was just starting to build the legend. Five years ago when Sandman was just starting to exist. And so when I heard with eager ears the tales of the Sandman in ECW. When Kevin Sullivan sent word and said the Sandman... It's fabulous. I was very proud. And I watched, and deservedly so was I proud, because Sandman, every time you smoked a butt, it brought me pride. Every time you pile drove another hapless opponent, it brought me pride. And every time you smashed a Singapore cane against somebody's skull, it made me proud. Because I knew who you're taking your lessons from, and you learned very well. Because the Sandman doesn't and still does not care about winning. Just like five years ago, Cactus Jack had not a care in the world. And I hate to see it, but look into my eyes and you can see I'm a changed man. Because I like to win, Sandman. 
I like the ego gratification of the one, two, three. I like to have my hand in the air, and I like to sign autographs. And therefore, I've become a weaker man. Because, Sandman, when you chose to cross my path, you chose a living hell! Because you've awoken the sleeping giant, made me ashamed of the man I've become. And I guarantee, and I make you a vow right now, that I'm not going to be that man anymore. Because as of now, Cactus Jack doesn't care! You'll look at Steve Sandman, and you remember real well, I put the garbage can across your head, and you didn't go down. I put it across your head a second time, and not only didn't you go down, but I saw the faint remnant of a smile. And I said the Sandman's playing head games with the master, and he's winning. So Sandman, you've made my hand a useless weapon. I'm not a doctor, but it's hurt real bad. And now you've taken my psychological warfare out of the game. So I say to you, Sandman, let's let it all hang out. Where wins don't count. Where the numbers one, two, three don't mean a damn thing. To where the only variable that means anything is guts. Because you've got them, Sandman. And once upon a time, I did too. And so I'm going to look deep inside my soul and say, Cactus Jack, if you can't take the Sandman out in the most vicious match in the game, then maybe you better become a full-time daddy and forget about wrestling because ECW ain't for the faint of heart. So Sandman, I'm on my knees. I'm on my knees and I'm asking you for the favor. You meet me in my match. Not false count anywhere because that's far too civil in one, two, three count. And God knows I don't want them to. Sin man, Texas death match where the last man standing wins it all. And if you can beat me, Sandman, in a Texas death match, a match made famous by the likes of Cyclone Negro, by the likes of Stan Hansen, by the likes of Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch, and by the likes of my idol, Terry Funk, and Sandman, I'll walk away from this sport. And I'll walk with my head held low, because once upon a time, the words Cactus Jack meant something in the world of wrestling, but as far as I'm concerned right now, they're words I don't deserve. So Sandman, you take the challenge, and you beat Cactus Jack, then away I go to become a full-time husband, a full-time father. And I don't want that. No, Sandman. Um, Del, let's, let's look at the Raven. Um, Johnny Polo comes across from, uh, from WWF, and, yep. and yeah, they, they, they tease us at the end of last month. Um, I'm very impressed with what they've done since the debut in terms of the vignettes and the promos that we've heard throughout this show. Yeah. But I was not impressed with this debut. We didn't cover it much in the TV report, so I'll kind of go over it now. But we, we start the segment with Joey Styles at ringside interviewing, um, well, Steve Richards, whatever he's going by this week. Um, and for me, this should have been 
a very short, very sweet setup promo that simply set up the debut of the Raven. And it went on way too long. It, yeah. it went on, it went on so long that the ECW fans in the ECW arena started and burnt out on a 911 chat. That's how long this promo was. Rich was talking about how this was the greatest thing in ECW ever, like more important than like the moon landing and, and, and like what name dropped one of the presidents, I think, as well. It went on way too long. And the Raven comes out and cuts this very nondescript promo, but that bit's I'm all right with. But then they follow it up with the the match, which was Richards against Hack Myers. A match so bad that the crowd chanted, you both suck during the match. And at the end of the match, they chanted, you still suck. And the match ended with, with Raven got in the ring, apparently loaded up his boot. I don't know how you load up your boot. It's already, it's preloaded. He seems to like kick his boot on the floor. And the idea was that now it's loaded. I don't know what that means. He <laughs> nailed, nailed Myers in the back of his, Myers in the back of his injured neck with the referee's back turned. Richards picks up the pinfall and they walk off. That bit, I didn't think it was very good. But since then, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed with what they've done. The story seems to be based on these vignettes so far. So he's coming and he's going to feud with, with Tom and Dreamer. Based on the promo cut in the, the classroom, I'm guessing the idea is, is that there were school friends that Dreamer maybe, you know, theory at least used to bully or whatnot. And now Raven's come back and he's going to get his revenge. Is that the impression you get, Dale? I think pretty much. I mean, we've seen when Tommy Dreamer came and he's obviously changed that a little bit now with the stuff with Sandman, but he's got those looks. It's as if it's maybe built up that maybe Tommy was the one that got the girl and Raven was the, the Raven was the outsider in the school. Uh, he's really, it, he's definitely got a, a bit of a troubled, a troubled history there. I think this guy, I mean, just a couple of promos that we've seen, it's, it's almost like a kind of preacher that he is. He's obviously doing a lot of the, the quotes back to Edgar Allan Poe and things like that. But there's definitely a dark, a dark side to this guy, and it's just really intriguing to see what Tommy Dreamer's response to this is. What do you think of the debut in terms of that opening segment? I think it could have been. It's, a, it's, I, it's, it's not. It's not a shit all over. It wasn't that yeah, bad. But I just it thought wasn't it was bad. I mean, he's definitely got legs that character, and I think when you see it in the the kind of pre-tape promos and the vignettes that they were running, this is somebody that's really, really intriguing as a character. I mean, look back at the. The last guy that we've seen coming in for WWF, Bob, when we've got Mark Bourne last month, um, last year, and it turned into the Bourne again situation. Again, that could maybe have went longer than it did if they'd managed to get a, a more regular occurrence off him, but they've just got this knacky bringing in guys that, I mean, Johnny Polo just strutted about with curly hair and kind of awful suits with a polo, a polo mallet and hung about with the Quebecers coming out singing their song. It's just a total cartoon New York thing, but then when you see him now, it's almost un, unrecognisable. I mean, I just think that debut, it was almost as if it was more about young Steve Richards than it was about the Raven. Imagine what they do with Al Snow. If they can do that with Johnny, just imagine yeah. what they give to Al Snow. But when I you've got a wrestler like that, I mean, Johnny Polo was never really anybody that we'd really seen much much of unless you'd seen him like Scotty the Body or Scotty Flamingo. Raven, we don't really know that much about him, but seeing that, that match with Al Snow in the middle of the month, what they could do for him if they wanted to give him a gimmick, they, they just seem to have that creative knack in ECW where it's, everything just seems to turn to gold. Yeah, they just, they, they just seem to be getting most things right, you know, yeah. and other than the odd exception, they're, they're hitting 9 out of 10, and that's like, that's a pretty good return, that, you know what I mean? And, you know, the, the Raven thing might have started a bit dodgy, but they, they, they've hooked me enough with these short little promos. They haven't overdone it too much, and they're kind of just slowly bringing in, like, his kind of motivation, and Dreamer hasn't responded yet at all. 
um, that very excited to see all the seats. Anyway, that will wrap up this part of the show. Del, thank you very much for joining me this month. Thanks, Bob. Uh, you're on Twitter? Yep, Twitter, Del, D-E-L, underscore Muir, M-U-I-R, and obviously check out the blogs and the, the rest on twittyyrs.com site as well. I was going to say, you've written a few this month. Just talk us through a couple of the ECW-centric ones you, you've... Yeah, battering them, battering them out. We've got a, a couple of ECW this month with Cactus Jack and Mikey Whipwreck. I'm just going to focus on Mikey's one-year anniversary, the rise that he's had, and just the stuff that Cactus Jack has been doing, how he was maybe misused in, in WCW, going back to last year, and then what he's been doing in in ECW since he arrived as well and as you said in the title Bob really turning water into wine so a couple of reads there for ECW but also some more generics modern day stuff as well and I know you've started or at least done your end of year 1994 power rankings that's going to be something we see more often yeah, we've got the Power 25 from 1994, and then going forward monthly, we'll probably be focusing maybe a top 10 monthly, and then again culminating in a, a review in 1995 with the Power 25 again. But we can see how everybody got on last year, judge it with the, the month that we've got upcoming as well, and then keep your eyes out for the, the Power 10 coming in from monthly. Splendid. Anyway, that will wrap up this part of the show. We'll be back after this clip, and we're going to review the WCW Clash of the Champions. You know, 1994, it's history, it's in the past, and we can't bring it back. But one thing's for sure is that the past and the future go hand in hand. And I can't think about 95 without thinking about 94. Bottom line is, my, que- my character had been questioned many times in 94. But since the time that Nick Bockwinkle took my handcuffs, my nightstick, my uniform, to the time I beat the dog out of Harley Race Invader in that ring right there, I've answered each and every question, each and every challenge, with every man, woman, and child that believe in me. That's why I can stand right here in the present and talk about the future. 95, the future of the Guardian Angels the future of World Championship Wrestling because the best wrestlers in the world are coming right here to World Championship Wrestling. Men like Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Vader, Harley Race, Avalanche, Butcher, and there's only one man that's big enough, fat enough to answer the challenge, and you're looking at him, the Guardian Angel. But one thing for sure, in World Championship Wrestling, the Guardian Angel is going to be making some big waves and there's going to be some people serving nothing but hard time. Woo! We start 1995 on January 1st with another WCW recap show from 1994 with main event. Bobby Heenan questioned given the fans a choice of match voting, describing it as dangerous. The only first run match between Dustin Rhodes and beautiful Bobby Eaton saw Colonel Robert Parker and the Blacktop Bully watching from ringside. Noteworthy perhaps was then Rhodes on commentary calling Dustin Rhodes in line for a WCW world title. Dustin won with a bulldog for the clean victory. On January 7th for WCW Saturday night, while minimal it does look like they are turning Guardian Angel Hill with small changes to in-ring mannerisms and decisions. He says he's been questioned a lot in the past year and he's answered them all and he's big enough and bad enough to answer the questions of the top stars in WCW. Nick Bockwinkle has announced that Sting vs Avalanche as a rematch at the Clash of the Champions and he will be appointing the Guardian Angel as the special guest referee. Harlem Heat defeated the Armstrong Brothers in a long by Saturday Night Standards 
TV match after the ref was distracted. After a Stars and Stripes tag match, Sherry ended up slapping Marcus Alexander Bagwell. The segment ended up with the Heat, Stars and Stripes and even the Nasty Boys in the ring before the show went to a break. Me and Gene O'Cullen talked on air about Honky Tonk Man walking away from the building at Starcade, but stopped short of revealing much more of the story, instead using it as a hook for his hotline. In the main event, Johnny B. Bad defeated Paul Roma via a roll-up. After the match, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage cut their first promo together, Hogan doing Savage impressions and Savage dressed in red and yellow. Hogan and Savage will be known as the Monster Maniacs. On January 8th, and we have a live WCW main event. WCW are offering a fan vote for the main event with the heel locker room of Avalanche, The Butcher, Bunkhouse Buck, and The Blacktop Bully. And over in the face locker room, you'll have Sting, Dustin Rhodes, The Guardian Angel, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The show opens with a television title change. Arn Anderson defeats Johnny B. Bad after help from his manager, Colonel Robert Parker, who pushed the limp Anderson on top of Bad for the pin. After the match, Johnny B. Bad cut a promo and Mean Gene Oakland called over the referee, who said he simply called the action as he saw it. Oakland wants people to call the hotline to vote for a rematch. Alex Wright is now getting mobbed by females on his way to the ring. Shockingly, this doesn't seem to be replicated when the fans aren't paid actors at other events. The voted match Sting and Avalanche main event ends in a DQ with the Butcher and Kevin Sullivan interfering. After the match, Rhodes, Duggan and the Guardian Angel run out to make the save. On January 14th, WCW Saturday Night main event, they announced that at the Super Bowl pay-per-view in February, it will be Hulk Hogan vs. Vader for the WCW World title. Nick Bonkwinkle has made a rule that the pair must be put on ice meaning they cannot be in the same building at the same time. Later on in the show, Vader says that he cannot be at Caesars Palace at the Clash of Champions officially, but he does have a ticket for the show. On the Clash of Champions control centre, Mean Gene Oakland says that Ric Flair was in New York, but you'd have to call the hotline to find out what it was about. The insinuation with the New York line was that Ric Flair was meeting with the WWF, but the revelation on the hotline later was that Flair met with the exec of Gold's Gym. As taped in December, Harlem Heat defeated Stars and Stripes to win the WCW World Tag Team titles in the main event of the show. The match ended with Booker T pinning the Patriot, despite Booker T not being the legal man. During the finale, Kevin Sullivan said he's made a deal with Randy Savage before Starcade. He says the only reason Butcher isn't the champion is because Savage must have reneged on that agreement. On the 21st January, WCW Saturday night, Bobby Heenan mentioned in the opening of the show that he had it from a very credible source that Ric Flair will be at Clash of the Champions. Mean Gene Oakland would also name drop Jesse Ventura and Jim Ross for his hotline. On the main event of the previous week, Oakland had also dropped Roddy Piper as a name. Kevin Sullivan faced his brother Dave. Surprise, surprise, the match ended after the interference of the Butcher, after Dave seemed to have the match won after hitting the Hogan leg drop. Butcher took a pair of scissors and ripped Dave's Hulkamaniac robe in half. After pile-driving him, Butcher cut some of Dave's hair off 
then cut up the boots that Hulk Hogan gave Dave that allegedly he wore when he body slammed Andre the Giant. WCW then aired a video package about Brian Pillman. Tony Schiavone said he was on his way back to the company. We can report his mullet is significantly more impressive than it was the last time he was on WCW TV. Brian Hillman spoke about his career in football, uh, the end of the Hollywood Blondes and Baywatch in a segment filmed in a sit-down interview in a TV studio. He mentioned wanting to win the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. In the main event of WCW Saturday night, the Nasty Boys faced the stud stable comprised of Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. The match ended with the stud stable being disqualified after Slater broke up a pin using his boot as a weapon. Right now, me and my main man, the Macho Man, are focused on Vegas, brother. Because there's a lot of things at hand there, brother. The whole world's going to be watching. All the promoters all around the country, all the major TV stars, they're going to be focused on Caesar's Palace, brother. Because the only thing that's going down in the wrestling world on that day or any other day is a macho man and Hulk Hogan against Kevin Sullivan in that no good backstabbing butcher. And you know something, macho man? What is it? Vader Time has got two tickets at ringside, brother. And Vader Time and Hulk Time just don't mix, dude. And Ric Flair... Also said he's going to be there. Unbelievable. I can't believe you guys are testing the monster maniacs like ya. And putting our backs against the wall. Against all odds, you guys are checking us out to see what we're made of. Yeah. And by using other people that aren't involved, cool people, people we like. Ric Flair, Beta, Pucha, Kevin Sullivan, you're all in the danger zone, yeah. Class of the champions, the monster maniacs are going to be wild. Boil it over. Yeah, we are. You know something, macho man? Who it is? The way I figure it, Ric Flair is out the back door, brother, because Hulkamania has already put him in the pasture. He's already in retirement, dude. So if he jumps in our face, he's biting off just a little bit more of the red and yellow that he can chew. But I gotta warn you, macho man. What is it? This Vader thing, brother. This Vader thing is heavy, man. The whole wrestling world has been waiting for Vader time and Hulkamania time to come. But right now, with you as my side, we're going to fight toe-to-toe and take care of that no-good Kevin Sullivan and Butcher brother. But heed the warning, macho man. When you stepped into the pit of Hulkamania, we bought it forever and a day, brother. So if Vader jumps in your face, Ric Flair jumps in your face, do the thing off the top, macho man. Do it for me, brother. All points, bulletin in Las Vegas, Nevada, Caesars Palace on fire. And thank you very much to Dell for that and Colin for the TV reveal. We'll be hearing from him after we review the Clash of Champions. But on to the Clash of Champions, introducing first Chris Lacey. Chris, good evening. Evening, Bob. How are uh, we? Uh, very well, thank you. Well, we'll see how I am currently at the end of this show. And a debuting, Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, hello. Hello, Bob. Uh, we are reviewing the Clash of Champions. Wayne, kick us off with the results. And Anderson defeated Johnny Bibad. That was to retain the WCW World Television Championship. Alex Wright defeated Bobby Eaton. Harlem Heat defeated Stars and Stripes to return the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Sting defeated Avalanche. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage defeated Kevin Sullivan and The Butcher. Chris, what do you think of this show? Well, (laughs) 
It was a show. That it was. Differing qualities. You know, it had some okay moments and some moments where I just sat there going, did I just see what I thought I saw? And that will all be coming out in the main event, that moment. Yeah. Plural. Wayne. <laughs> Same sentiment as uh, as Chris, really. Um, it, it definitely had uh, ups and downs, more uh, more deep deep downs, and, and many of them. We will come to as we come to. I, I, I'm not going to comment. You, you, you're going to hear my uh, my stream of thoughts on this show as we, as we come through it. Uh, before we kick off this show, just a little bit of news that well, I'd say it would be important for the show, although they never acknowledged it on television up to the point they actually contradicted themselves a couple of times. Harley Race was very much meant to be a part of this show, being sat at ringside with Vader. As it turned out, a few days before the event, he was involved in a fairly serious car accident. I understand he's okay. He's got some injuries that are um, significant but not severe or life-threatening, but he wasn't at this show. That didn't stop them mentioning Harley Race at the start of the show. It didn't stop them... Uh, introducing Harley Race when Vader came out, and it didn't some of you other things as well, but he wasn't on this show, but I, I need to pre- preface that with that. But we start, obviously, with the Clash of Champions. We're at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. This show is actually being filmed or shown live from the West Coast on a Wednesday starting at 4.30pm. Um, the reason they're on the West Coast, and they, they never usually are, but it was because they had a big uh, TV convention going on in Las Vegas at the same time, and obviously WCW wanted to, you know, show themselves to be good in front of the big wigs and, you know, introduce Hogan and Savage and all that. So that's why they're there. Um, but we start the show with Mean Gene Oakland teasing that there may be more than five matches this evening, I don't know why, uh, and says that Ric Flair is supposedly in the building. We start with the WCW television title match, Arn Anderson with Conor Rock Parker and Meng versus Johnny B. Bad. Bad hits a knee, nice knee lift at the beginning of the match, Anderson climbs to the top rope, Bad hits a running drop kick and knocks Anderson straight to the outside. Bad then does a flying crossbody to the outside, taking out Anderson and Parker. Anderson catches Bad's leg, slaps him in the face, but Bad hits an enziguri. Bad goes to vault a tackle in the corner, but Anderson catches him and drives his head into the turnbuckle. Anderson throws Bad to the outside, then Parker kicks him with the referee distracted. Anderson jumps off the top, Bad gets a leg up, but Anderson stands up and drops an elbow. Bad rallies with a series of clotheslines into a lovely head scissors. Bad hits the knockout punch, but Anderson falls to the outside. Parker grabs some ice water, dumps it over Anderson's head to revive him. Bad goes after Parker, but on returning to the ring, Bad runs into a DDT from Anderson, who retains his title. Chris, what did you think? It's a solid opener. It was, you know, the sort of thing I like to see as as the good sort of start to a show. You've got the the ever amazing Arn Anderson and Johnny B. Bad, who is never exceptional, but is always a good standard. So it was one of those of these two together. It's going to be a good, solid match. And it just didn't, it didn't disappoint. Why? Um, yeah, I, I could see that the crowd are really into Johnny B. Bad, and I'm just not on the same page as I'm in all honesty. Um, uh, same as Chris uh, and Anderson. You can never go wrong with, uh, with, with Arn. Um, good opener. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was good to get the, uh, get the, the, the show started. Um, but I'm just not really into watching Johnny Babado in all honesty. Uh, I've grown to like Johnny Babado, and this was this was another outing where I kind of thought, you know, you're you're in this spot for a reason in terms of your opening the show because you are very good. 
Uh, I think Wade Keller said on the PW Torch that Arn Anderson is, is is great when he's in the ring with someone who who wants to work. Uh, and Johnny Bad certainly fits that description. Um, this was very good, by far the best thing on the show. Um, in terms of just a, a very solid wrestling match, it wasn't too long, wasn't necessarily anything major going on with it. Um, but a very very nice match and very nice spots. The moment where Anderson jumps off the turnbuckle, Bad you know, kind of raise his legs to kind of block him. Um, and then Anderson just stands on it and drops an elbow was really nice. Uh, and a very nice finish as well. And I think I remember saying on the, um, on the Starcade review last month, cause this, this was the, the match on Starcade last month and it was kind of thrown together. Um, that I hope these guys get more notice cause they'll be able to put on, uh, in theory, a better match. Not that one was bad. Um, but this was very good and I kind of hope we, we, we get it next month. Um, if they decide to go that way. Uh, we move on to uh, a promo with Kevin Sullivan and the Butcher. Sullivan says they are prepared, says that with Flair, Savage and Vader in attendance, Hogan is surrounded by friends and friends get, quote, stabbed in the back. Sullivan says that Savage owes him one and that Hogan should watch his back. Alex Wright, music video airs. Then we, uh, uh, we get an announcement that on WCW Saturday night of the weekend, Arn Anderson will face Randy Savage for the WCW Television Championship. And then we go into beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. Wright hits a body slam and a flying shoulder tackle. Then after a rest hold, hits a head scissors into an arm bar. Wright cocks his arm, but Eaton begs for mercy. Wright hits him anyway, runs towards the top, and Eaton flies at him, but Eaton uh, gets out of the way, and Wright bounces off the top rope. Wright hits a crossbody for a two cap. Eaton hits a spinning net breaker, then drops an Alabama jam leg, bro- leg drop from the top rope. But after a small timing stall, Wright kicks out. Wright runs into the corner, jumps back across the ring with a crossbody block, and gets the win. Wayne, what do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy this match. I think it was a bit too... Um, I, I think they, they, they liked a good technical wrestle uh, throughout the match, which, you know, stopped the, stopped the pace. Uh, but when Alex Wright is... Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously his aerial ability. You know, really enjoying uh, watching him and uh, and Bobby Eaton. I'm a I'm a big fan of him. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of Alex Wright? I don't know how much you you, you would have seen of him, but what are your impressions of it? Well, uh, uh, a, a couple of things. Um, what was that video for one? Um, he, he likes techno. <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, I just, I just couldn't. I was I was really confused by it. I mean, if he's it's just very, uh, very heel-esque, I thought, the, uh, the, the video. And if, if they're going one way, then I, I just, I was a bit confused by the video. But Alex Wright, I mean, I, th- I think with, with a bit of a change, um, you know, I, th- I think he needs to, to lose his dance when he's in the ring. Um, but, you know, if he's, he's going along the line, the right lines and, uh, you know, he's, he, you know, he could have the ability to actually be a bit of a star if they, if they push him in the right way. The dance is awful. I mean, let's be clear on that bit. Um, but I, it, it's difficult because he, he, he's 19 years old. He, he's a guy with a, a very marketable look. I mean, they're pushing him as a ladies man, although all we've really seen so far is plants in the, the WCW Saturday night crowd. We don't know whether that's actually going to start resonating with a female audience. Um, but they you know, I, I would suggest it's too soon with him in the sense that, you know, you can put him in the ring with good workers for three years and I think he'd struggle to improve to the degree you need him to. Um, but in terms of if I'm going to try and push Alex right, I think they're going about it the right way. Uh, it's just whether it's whether he's good enough. Uh, and I guess time will tell. Chris, Chris, what do you think about Alex Wright? I like him. I've, I see a lot of potential in him. Um 
I think how they're using him is definitely a good way forward. Uh, putting him in the ring with guys like Bobby Eaton, who, you know, yes, he's not as good as he was four or five years back with the Midnight Express, but still a solid hand. Um, makes him perfect fodder, really, for Alex Wright, because he can take all the moves that Wright does, uh, makes them look good, and if he can teach him stuff while in the ring, it's only going to make Alex Wright better. Though I do have to ask, does Das Wunderkid go clubbing in just his pants and jacket? Well, I, I don't want to know. It's the answer in short. Um, but no, I mean, my, my, my main concern with Wright is just that the, the, the approach is pretty good. Like the dancer thing, I can, I can live, take or leave. But it's just whether he's good enough. It, it's just whether, you you know how long are you going to have to be? Because I think he's doing basic things wrong. I don't think he's a very good babyface, and I almost wonder he'd be better off being a heel, just because it's probably a fair bit easier being a heel to begin with, because you can get heat a bit more easily, and you're not reliant. Because that basic things about interacting with the crowd that I don't think he gets yet, or I don't think he understands, and and more the point that he because he's because he doesn't he speaks broken english he, he, i think communicating with the crowd is is going to be a problem as well um so through his promos God making was... him a, a dirty foreigner heel is very 80s the cold war's over now we're not meant to hate the you know the, the dirty East european foreigner well yeah well yeah, all right i but but you don't you don't have to make him a german heel like that yeah, there there are other ways of doing it if you want to be more clever with it. I don't know, um, but yeah, we'll, you, we'll see. We'll see how it looks. He's a guy they clearly want to get behind. Um, they're doing the right thing with him, no pun intended. They're doing the correct thing. They're going about it the correct way in terms of because his next year looks like it's going to be with Paul Roma. We'll uh, we'll approach that when Corin does the TV review after the clash. Um, so they're putting him in with guys who have been around the block who can carry into because I mean neither of his two matches have been particularly awful um but I, I just wonder whether we're going to be sat here in 12 months time having him being in the second match of every pay-per-view and wondering has he improved a lot um and that's something they're going to have to work on chris what do you think of the match i put it as my match of the night it it was good solid there was potential from alex wright to sort of go forward you know both men looked good and nothing about it was kooky Okay, and we move on. Mean Gene introduces Vader, who looks phenomenal in a suit jacket. Amazing. Um, my 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 main takeaway from this point, because the story as we covered in the TV review was that Nick Bockwinkel has said that Vader and Hogan can't be within two hundred feet of each other or whatever. Um, and so as a result, Vader had to buy a ticket to get into the venue, which is. Fair enough. I guess it wasn't like it wasn't like it was a a restraining order or anything like that. It was an order from Nick Bockwinkel to keep them apart. Why did Vader come out from backstage then, Chris? I don't get that. Yeah, that basic storytelling 101. Have him in the front row all night and have Mean Gene go to him in the crowd. Well, you don't have to. He he can arrive halfway through, but have him arrive through the crowd and then have Mean Gene Oakland go up to him and interview him, sat in his seat. Yeah. Um, yeah, a small thing, 
But I don't know. It's the kind of thing I'd like to be tighter on. Just just that small thing. Uh, Vader says he's been looking for Hogan at the gym uh, in his uh, autograph session, but Hogan seems to have been avoiding him. Anyway, we move on to the WCW World Tag Team title match. Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry versus Stars and Stripes, Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot. We get a delay at the start of this match between the two teams coming out, and out comes Ric Flair, flanked by two ladies. Flair has cut his hair shorter since we last saw him, Flair has an interaction with Vader but seems respectful and walks past him. He then hugs Heenan and takes a seat in the crowd. For what it's worth, we don't see Flair again during this show. Why? What's it? Dave Meltzer speculated that, that, that something might have changed, and I guess had Harley Race had been there, maybe they'd have gone through their plans entirely. But was wasn't this a bit underwhelming for you, Wayne? Bringing Flair back in such a kind of like middle of the show, didn't do anything else. It was like, what was the point in that? Yeah, exactly. Um, just come in, brush past Vader, sat down, got up, shit, Bobby, um, Bobby Enon's hand, sat back down, and and that was it. it was, you know, if you like, you say if you're going to put a microphone in front of Vader, then do the same with uh, with Fleur as well. Yeah, Chris, have they brought him back too soon? If they're going to bring him back to wrestle, then yes. If they're going to bring him in, um, they could give him a statesman-like role. Or put him on the announced team, then he's got a purpose for being there. I still, I, I still think even in the latter scenario, I think he's about five months too early. But it, it's just having him turn up and sit in the crowd makes no sense to for any purpose really of anything. You know, what? Why is he there? Why isn't he retiring and sort of you know styling and profiling with? You know the the money that he has. It, it was poorly executed. Let's say that it, it it wasn't it wasn't the superstar return I'd want to give to Ric Flair. I know they wanted to pop a a rating. We're, we're on live TV and all that, and they 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 previewed it. The they mentioned it the previous week on TV. I get all that, but it it just it wasn't the tight execution I'd expect for for a return like Flair. I say. It, it's not like he did anything. It, you know, I, I could explain the rest if it, you know, if they they tease something with with Flair and Savage or something like that, but they, they didn't. Anyway, Stars and Stripes come out and the match begins. Bagel unloads on Booker T in the corner, drives him across the ring, but can only run into a knee. Bagel drop kicks T to the outside, and Bagel and Patriot drop kicks Stevie Ray. The Stripes whip Booker T off the ropes and hit him with a lovely high double arm drag. Booker hits a jumping scissor kick, but Bagwell rolls him through into a near fall. T hits a super kick to Bagwell after a distraction, as they'll attack in Stevie Ray. The heels take control. Both Ray and Bagwell go for a crossbody block and clash in the middle of the ring. The match breaks down with all four men inside the ring. Sherry takes off her shoe and climbs onto the apron. Booker T inadvertently runs into the shoe. Bagwell rolls him up, but at two, Stevie Ray hits a super kick and Booker T rolls over Bagwell for a three count. Wayne, what do you think of this finish? It was an absolute mess. It was bad. Uh, yeah, very bad. <laughs> if, if you didn't know what was coming the first time, you did the second time. I mean, it was just... It wasn't even a great finish, but it was just so badly executed. That was the yeah. weird thing. Like, Sherry got, got on the apron far too soon. And Booker T almost, like, signposted it himself. And then... I, I suppose it was it, it was a kind of a false distraction in the sense that the, the Heat still won the match, but via another move after it, in that Bagwell goes into a pin. Stevie Ray then super kicks Bagwell, and Booker T rolls through himself. So I guess there's a bit of that, but all very strange. Chris, what do you think of the match? 
It was all right. Um, I'm not a massive fan of Bagwell and the Patriot, but there's definite potential in Harlem Heat. I think you put those two against people that are a bit better standard. I mean, you could get a really good match out of them. I do like how Sherry is with them and is still up to what she does best, but she wasn't on form tonight. Thoughts on the match, Ryan? Um, yeah, it's, um, it was a bit of back and forth, usual. Um, it was what it was, really. Um, it, was, it was just the mess uh, of the finish that spoiled it for me. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the match itself wasn't particularly bad. I mean, it was just a kind of fairly archetypal tag match. I think both teams are capable of better. Um, but no, Chris, I'm in agreement with you that the uh, I, I kind of like Harlem Heat. They both look phenomenal. They both got a great look. Um, but I'd like to see them tested. And as, as we heard in the news, the Steiner brothers may be on their way into WCW in the next couple of months. Uh, I am kind of hopeful that we, we, we get that match because that could be something else. There's, that there's is something a match that you want to see. Hang on, go on, Chris. That's definitely a match that you have, want to see them, them two against the Steiners. That's, that's going to be hard hitting. That could be that could be excellent. Well, you know, take it your sentiments were. were oh yeah, I mean, I was always already going to say about Harlem Heat. I mean, it's like wrestling. It's, it's like watching people wrestle uh, two brick walls, but putting the Steiners in there as well. Uh, yeah, that is going to be uh, that, that is going to be a hard hitting. Yeah, so uh, there's WCW's tag team roster. If they could, you know, keep style, keep this. I like the Stars and Stripes. They, they, you know, they're good. Um, Harlem Heat, the Nasty Boys. Adding the Steiners, all of a sudden, like that's uh, there's some good matches there. There really are, like some different styles of matches. As we said before with the Nasty Boys, I don't think you want them trying to out wrestle the Steiners. But if they if they all work with each other, some potentially excellent matchups. Um, anyway, we have a Hogan and Savage promo. I didn't make any notes on it, so I'm presuming it was just a a fairly bog standard promo. Um, we then go into Sting versus Avalanche with the Guardian Angels special guest referee. Uh, Sting lobs his jacket. Avalanche and the match begins at a pace. Angel quickly gets involved, warning Avalanche. Sting drop kicks Avalanche over the top rope to the outside. Angel then tells Sting to get back into the ring. Sting goes for a body slam but buckles under the weight. The crowd audibly gasps. A little bit strange given they did that spot more than once at Starcade. The pair bounce off each other. Avalanche drops to the mat. Sting bounces off the ropes and flops back down, headbutting Avalanche in the groin in the process. Sting hits four Stinger Splash in the corner, then hits a body slam before locking in the Scorpion Deathlock. Avalanche appears to tap out, sort of, then referee Nick Patrick runs out and ends the match, saying that Avalanche tapped. And, uh, Angel pushes Patrick, then gets involved in a stare down with Sting. Sting gets a shot in, but Angel gets the upper hand. Angel takes his belt off and hits Sting with it, but out comes Stars and Stripes and Alex Wright to protect Sting and run them off. After the match, Gene grabs Angel. He says the avalanche never quit. He then said, quote, you'll have to answer to Big Bubba Rogers. Chris, what do you think? It was Earthquake slash Avalanche by numbers as a match. You know, he, he did the same thing that he's always done in his WWF run and his WCW run. Um, there's only so much even Sting can do with it. Uh, I like the heel turn. It means that we've got someone else for Hogan in, in you know, Hogan versus Bossman. But, well, Big Bubba. Or Big Bubba, as, as he's now going as. But it, it, it was as good as you're going to get with John Tenter. 
Yeah, and, and, and frustratingly, this is a match. Like, I mean, you, you guys don't watch the, the the TV in the levels that I do, and it's a it's a match that we saw at Starcade. I think we've seen it twice on television, and we've seen it here. None of them have ended cleanly. Um, and it's a match I'm kind of bored of. It's not like, it's not particularly a horrendous matchup. It's just that once you've seen it once, you don't need to see it again. The match of Starcade was about as good as it was going to get between these two. I mean, this one was short, at least, only a few minutes. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of the match? Sting is great. That's, uh, that's what I'm saying about the, uh, about the match at all. Um, uh, Avalanche, once you've seen it once, you've, you've seen it all the time. Um, my, my only um, agreement with the um, with, with the matches that it was a, th- a third hockey finish out of four matches we've seen so far. Yeah, Chris, talk to me about this finish. I mean, I, it, it's the, it's the kind of thing that I, I I think sounded good on paper, but it it was one of those where it didn't sound great, and it, I don't think it was executed very well. I mean, Sting rolls over Avalanche into the uh, the Scorpion Deathlock, basically the, a similar version of, of uh, Brett the Hitman Heart Sharpshooter. Um, and then they cut into a very close shot of Avalanche. He's kind of, you know, he's clawing, he's gasping, but he's not tapping out. And Angel's holding on, and I think quite rightly so. And then from really out of nowhere, Nick Patrick slides into the ring and says, no, he's tapped out. <laughs> And, uh, and ended the match, Chris. I, I don't really get what they were trying to do because I, I didn't feel like because the whole real point was that, it, it, that Angel was turning heel because he wasn't enforcing law and order. But I don't think I don't think Avalanche had been in the hole long enough for that point to make sense. And and if he had have been, it wouldn't have really turned Angel heel. No, it, it should have been the other way around with. You know, Sting being cheated out of the match as such and sort of, you know, not tapping, but... Being in a submission and then, well... uh, And then Avalanche calls for the bell, that kind of way, and then the referee comes out and says he didn't tap, but Avalanche, uh, then Angel just beats him up. Yeah, Yeah. they they got it the wrong way around. Yeah. But it does smell of a dusty finish. Well, most of the show smells of... Dusty Rhodes booking, even though I know he's not there to booking. It yeah. was a dusty night. Yeah, certainly was. Certainly was. Wayne, what do you think of the finish? What, what was your kind of view on that? I mean, was 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 it was it a bad idea or was it just a badly executed idea? I, th- I think it was just badly executed. I mean, I'd, I, I was wondering, you know, I was wondering what was going on when um, you know Bobby Eaton actually commented by saying, uh, "Is Avalanche is Avalanche quitting?" And and I, and I was thinking that as well. And I, I didn't understand quite what was happening until the ref come in, and and then I was like, "Right, okay, so what are we getting from this?" And then obviously we, we got it with the uh, with the Guardian Angel um, heel turn. Uh, what frustrates me is that if the referees are on standby at this degree, can't we get them out in all the other matches? Like it's so bizarre. Um, Chris, what do you think of the the, the post match thing with you say the heel turn? I mean, this is the second character, like not not just face to heel, although it has been. This is the second full on character change that. Ray Trailer, formerly the boss, formerly the guardian angel, now Big Bubba, has had in less than a year. And it's like, this is all very odd. I don't understand why they're needing to do it. 
But if as he has gone back to Big Bubba, I'm hoping he turns up in his Blues Brother attire that he was wearing in '88. I believe when he, he will was last be. there. I, I, having seen the, um, the 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 promo clip for for the next month, he is in Blues Brother gear. I, I expect fedora, braces, sunglasses. Yeah, you're going to get that from, from from the from the promo shot I've seen. I think you're going to get that going forward. Talk us through that that Big Bubba character, Chris. Um. He initially sort of comes in as bodyguard for Jim Cornette in 88, whilst Cornette's managing the the Midnight Express, and is basically just a hired heavy. Um, doesn't have matches, but is always there sort of getting cheap shots in. Um, is pretty much your silent bodyguard, a la Mr. Hughes. Okay. But better. Yeah. No, I, I'd go along. I guess I, I think him being a heel's better, and I think the Guardian Angel character was weak. Um, I, I just wish he could be the boss because I think that was the best incarnation of him. Um, but we'll um, obviously he can't. Um, uh, and this is their answer to it. I, I think anything's improved on the Angel, ju- just for the fact that hopefully he'll be wearing some slightly better fitting ring gear. Um, as used to just wrestling t-shirts in that guise. Anyway, we move on to the main event. The Three Faces of Fear, well, two of them, The Butcher and Kevin Sutherland, versus The Monster Maniacs, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Jim Hart. Hogan's attention is drawn by Vader at ringside. Hogan hits a 10-punch on Butcher. Sutherland attempts to interfere, but Sal- uh, Savage cuts him off. Hogan tags in Savage, and he hits an axe handle from the top rope. Savage unloads on both wrestlers. Hogan then bites Butcher on the head. Butcher then locks in a sleeper hold. Savage desperately tries to get involved, but the referee stops him. Butcher releases the hold and Hogan appears to be passed out. The heels celebrate and Savage climbs to the top rope, drops an elbow and, quote, revives Hogan who jumps straight back up and wrestles the next two minutes. The whole thing never happened. Savage gets thrown over the top rope. Shivoni cries for disqualification despite the fact top guys going over the top rope happened at least two more times during this show. Savage then gets drilled into the ring post and Kevin Sullivan attacks him on the outside. That beat down goes on for a number of minutes with Savage in all kinds of trouble. Savage gets a jawbreaker and makes it to Hogan, who unleashes on both Sullivan and Butcher. Savage recovers far too quickly and hits an elbow drop. Hogan drops the leg and wins the match. We'll cover the aftermath of the match in a moment. Chris, what do you think? Uh, why? How? How does an elbow drop? mean that you are then superpowered and can just fly up he lost the match he he actually lost the match this is the second time in six months hulk hogan has lost the match cleanly like like six months ago at the clash of champions in august hulk hogan was in a figure four leg lock and did say the words i quit he corroborated that himself in a promo that followed he said the words i quit now if nick patrick had been at ringside for that he'd have called it he had called it, but he didn't. And we get to this one. Butcher locks in a sleeper hold. Hogan passes out. He literally passed out. That was it. It was over. The referee didn't bother checking his arm. Butcher celebrates, and quite rightly so. And then Savage like slaps him around the face a couple of times, tries to revive it, and then thinks, I know, I'm going to jump from the top rope. I think, what the hell are you doing here? Drops the elbow drop. It not only wakes Hogan up, the move that Rally Savage has won multiple WWF champions championships with Hogan was fine I mean <laughs> yeah it it basically now makes a macho man going forward his finishing move means nothing and Hogan can't lose it, it's just clear that Hogan will never drop that title because 
even when he's beaten cleanly, refs aren't going to count it. No, that's twice. Uh, but believe it or not, not the most angry I, I am at this show. That's to follow. Wayne, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've done numerous uh, first aid courses, and not once um, was I taught to uh, throw an elbow uh, drop. If um, well, well, you know what, you know what, Wayne, they're getting that wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, obviously. That's the, that's the fault of the health system in the UK. You know, the, uh, clearly, clearly. I don't know. Go away, carry on. Uh, no, but the, the other thing as well is if, um, like you said, if, if, if Hogan was knocked out and um, the butcher, had, had, you know, had obviously just won the match cleanly, um, but then the referee is saying, you know, you've, you've, you've not won the match, you've, he's, he wasn't counted, why, why go up on the turnbuckle and celebrate? Why not just go and pin him? It was just a clamour <laughs> I think you're looking for logical sense in one of the biggest plot holes I can ever think of in a wrestling ring. I, I, I wouldn't buy. I, it really, you should have pinned him after Savage had dropped the elbow. That was the match. Well, yeah, obviously. I, I don't know. Um, Chris, Chris, we get later on in this match, and, and Savage gets. Yeah, I mean, the match got like fairly decent after that. Like it was all right, and then Savage gets a, a fairly significant beatdown for a number of minutes. Finally, gets the hot tag to Hogan, and then within about thirty seconds, Savage is on the top rope, dropping an elbow again. I, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a disappointing lack of psychology from someone who should know far better. It seems to be fuck logic. We'll we'll do as we please. Is the only the only thing that I can think of of that is it really was a moment of well you know we have been given a hiding for so long. I should sell now. Nah, I'll drop an elbow. It's fine, and it's. I've noticed it recently quite a bit with Hogan, but I have to bring it up. How is his style of wrestling a face style <laughs> with his back scratches, eye rakes and cheap shots? And biting people. Yeah. How, um, how... It's not it, really, is it? It's one of those. It's been more so recently watching this stuff than sort of noticing in WWF, but I have gone back and it, he did the same there. How is he the big American hero in, when he doesn't wrestle clean or stay within the rules? Uh, yeah, Chris, you, you, you exposed a, a massive pothole. The whole of Hulk, Hulkamania is, is built on a lie. Uh, that's, that's the, uh, that's the best explanation I've got for that. I, I don't know. And yeah, I mean, it's like that bit aside, well, those two bits aside, it wasn't actually an awful match. Hopefully, mercy be, this is the end of Three Faces of Fear. Hopefully. Um, anyway, post-match. Vader comes in, knocks Savage out of the ring. Vader then gestures to the crowd. Hogan attacks him and Vader no-sells some particularly weak-looking offense before finally Vader hits a lovely powerbomb on him. Wayne, what a magnificent way to end the show. Vader, the big heel on top, powerbombs Hogan, looks strong. What a fantastic way to start this feud. Yeah, um, and then... Ah, whoa, 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 you has got a bit more. A bit more. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. That, that was, that was, that was the director's ending. That was Bob's ending of this show, but it went on. Hogan pops straight back up. No sells the powerbomb, lays into Vader, him and Savage run off Vader, and they've ruined it, Chris, they've ruined it. It's it, it, awful. It's called... Hogan has creative control. It's called shit. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a called. joke. I mean, it, it, I mean, like, even if Hulk Hogan is in this business to make money for himself, and he is, 
even if his only interest is his own pockets, it is in his interest to build up Vader as a convincing opponent, a convincing foe. And laying down for him here would have been the perfect way to do it. End the show like that. But he popped up. Uh, It's generally one of the most boneheaded things I've ever seen. Yeah, as I say, the thing is, right, Hogan gets a cut of the pay-per-view revenue. So, going in to the first big pay-per-view of the year that doesn't have anything to do with either Flair or Hogan versus one of his mates. All around Savage in the main event. We could get a massive buy rate if you make Vader going in looking strong. So, if we go with your director's edit, I want to see that match. Can Hogan come back against Vader? The WCW Clash 30 edit. What's the what's the point? Because you know Hogan is Superman. Wait, I didn't dream this, did I? I, I hope I did. <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Um, Vader and Hogan is is the match we've been crying out for 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 a long time. Um, done, you know, done the way it should have been. Um, we should have all been eager to uh, to, to obviously get the next pay per view. Um, but Hogan leaving it on top as he does always is, you know, it just ended up being a damn squib. The, the, the only rationale is that Hogan's losing next month. That's the only thing I can think of. And they're literally just thinking, screw it. Like, we're, we're going to make them feel like the title change is impossible and then we're going to do it. And it's completely counterproductive. Completely counterproductive. But that's. Uh, I, as I say, it's not, it's not about Hogan looking after number one, because if Hogan was looking after number one, Vader would have, would have done him here. Vader would have gone over looking strong and Hogan would have won the match next month. That's Hogan looking after number one. This isn't it. This is, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, is his Hulk, contract, is his contract not enough and he's just wanting to serve face for himself? Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I can't come up with a. I can't come up with a reasonable explanation why you do it. I mean, look, because you can you can no sell offense from now until the end of time if you want to do it. Be my guess, but you're not going to draw because nobody's going to believe you've got opponents. Chris, you, you you can speak to this. Hogan Hulkamania in the WWF was built up on the basis that they built up people who people believed were going to beat Hogan. Now most of the time they didn't, but that was the idea. That was the success. It was a very very basic formula time and time again. The heel knocks him down, knocks him down, knocks him down. We get to the big match, Hogan wins. That's that's the formula. I don't know, if they'd have done this for Hulkamania, he, he, he'd be retired now. He wouldn't have been half the star he was. WWF would be a different company. If, if Hogan... If they were still in existence. Would have been... If Hogan had done this there. Because how they did it there was you would get... For example, Earthquake came in, destroyed Jake, then destroyed Hogan. Hogan was out for six months, comes back, gets his revenge. You want to see that. Andre attacks him. Andre's never been lifted off his feet. Andre never loses. You want to see if Hogan can do him. Hogan and Macho Man, that year-long feud, Macho Man kept coming out on top. Can Hogan beat him? Him and Warrior, two immovable people that would somehow keep getting wins. One of them's going to have to lose. You want to see it. Can, can, I, can I cut in on the Warrior point? Because 
we say it never happened in the WWF, but there is a similar thing with the Warrior thing. When what what year was there was there WrestleMania match, Chris? Ninety. That was what WrestleMania six. six? Yeah. Um, and the finish, if I recall that right, was Warrior pins Hogan and Hogan kicks out on three, and Hogan oh. pops up. If I'm recalling this correctly. Yeah, he he he. Are there any parallels with that? Are there any parallels with that, Chris? With, with, with what we've seen tonight? Uh, I suppose he he doesn't, you know, really want to lose. But, but he did lose that match. He lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's the he, thing. He I mean, did lose. That was the thing. He he lost what it's just strong, didn't it? Yeah. But because Vince was there saying, "This is best for business." This is how we're going to do it. This, this builds you and him and we can do a return on these things. Someone was holding the leash and not letting Hogan just go, I want to do this. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like Rick Flair is the man in charge of the book. I know Hogan's got a ton of influence on that company, particularly on his own story. But, but they all must know. I mean, that's the thing. There's no, there's no, idiocy here they all must know what's going on the only thing i can think of is that they couldn't stop it that's that's the only thing and that's a scary thought for wcw if they can't stop hogan he's going to do that stuff um because he he's going to bring them down from the top if he if he continues to do stuff like that why why any, any more to contribute uh, well yeah the, going through the uh the the vader bomb uh on hogan um and then... sorry it was, it was a vader power bomb vader bomb is a very different move yeah sorry my mama said vader power bomb um, and uh, Hogan getting straight back up. Did um, did I miss the savage elbow drop? In what bit? On on Hogan. What during the elbows the... during the match to revive him from his from his coma? Yeah, that, he backed that's... up at, at the same pace as. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, like, Hogan. I mean, to to, to be clear, I mean, there are differences in the sense that, like, the the the, the storyline, the suspend all rational disbelief. The storyline around the Savage bit was that Savage drops the elbow and it revived him. Hogan did briefly start selling this move. Vader turns back round, poses to the crowd, and then Hogan pops up. A bit like, you know, you might say the Undertaker pop up or something like that. That was how it was. It wasn't like Hogan like hit the mat, rolled over and stood back up. He did sell it briefly, but it, it, it's just, I, I, I can't put it into words. I, I really can't. It's just so bad. It's whatever. Anyway, that'll end this, this review. Wayne, your, your overall thoughts on a score rating out of 10. Um, I give it a four. Um, the the Alex Wright um, Bobby Eaton match, um, as I said, was uh, a, a, apart from you know the the, the arm locks all the time, um, you know there was an enjoyable match. Sting and Avalanche, even though we've we've seen it a lot, you know, like I said, I, I really do enjoy watching uh, watching Sting, and you know, in quick matches like that is uh, you know is you know is often uh, enjoyable, um, but. No, the um, the 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 three um, out of the four uh, hockey finishes, and and then that main event was uh, was enough to just put me off and, and wipe this from uh, from my memory. Chris, it's got a three, and it's only because those first two matches were even semi reliable enough to sort of keep the show going. Um, if we'd have had the Bob edit. 
I feel that there may have been a few extra for, you know, the fact that Vader looked strong at the end. But the the WCW edit has has killed it. Yeah, I I I I was kind of halfway through the main event. I was ready to give the show a four because it wasn't a particularly good show. I thought the opener was better than you were selling it. I thought the second match was probably worse than you're selling it as, as a collective. But I, I thought it was a decent show. I mean, had the show have ended when Vader powerbomb Hogan, I'd have given it a six. But I downgraded it to a one. I, I'm I'm so angry, upset, annoyed. I don't get it. Like it's it's like. I just say, like, Hogan could be the most self-centered guy he wants, but if you want to make money, that's not how you do it. That's not how you've done it. You know what I mean? Like, Hogan's been in the business long enough to know how he made his money. I don't know. But yeah, very, very angry at, at that. And, and who knows where it goes from here? I mean, supposedly the theory goes that Vader might win in the title. I suggest that if Hogan's going to do that to Vader, that he won't be. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that will wrap up uh, this part of... Oh, no, well, we've got TV review. There we go. Right. See, this this, this is what happens when we pre-tape TV reviews. I forget them. Uh, right, introducing the television review for the show after Clash of Champions. After the Clash, we're on to January 28th, WCW Saturday night. WCW in recent weeks have made a real improvement, building main events throughout the show, with wrestler comments at the start of the show and right before the advert breaks. This week, it's Randy Savage versus Arn Anderson for the TV title. Paul Romer walked out to ringside during an Alex Wright squash match. The announcers are saying that there may be some jealousy of Wright from Romer. After the match, Romer grabs one of Wright's female fans from ringsides and asks how the fan could get excited over Wright when she could have him. Roman flexes, but the woman eventually ushers him away and dances with Wright in the ring. At Super Brawl, we will see Sting and Randy Savage versus Avalanche and the former Guardian Angel, now going by the name of Big Bubba. Harlem Heat will defend their tag titles against the Nasty Boys. Dustin Rhodes will face the Blacktop Bully. Alex Wright will face Paul Roma. Dave Sullivan will meet his brother Kevin Sullivan in the feud that will never end. Hacksaw Jim Duggan up against Bunkhouse Buck and of course the main event of Hulk Hogan vs Vader. WCW cameras were also with Flying Brian on the set of Baywatch. Dustin Rhodes defeated Jean-Paul Levesque cleanly. This was taped after his decision to leave the company had become known. Macho Man Randy Savage defeated Arn Anderson but the pin occurred after the TV title limit of 15 minutes. The match continued, allowing Savage to drop his elbow, but he did not win the championship. After the match, a massive brawl broke out involving the stud stable and numerous faces, including Sting and Dustin Rhodes. Coming up, it's Super Brawl on February the 19th. The two of you are going to be facing the Avalanche and a man known as Big Bubba, who really stuck it to you at the Clash of the Champions, Sting. Mean Gene, you see that little smile creaking out the side of my face? It's because I'm standing next to the Macho Man, and he's so full of energy, so full of electricity, I can't stand still, I can't stop smiling, even when I got somebody like Big Bubba trying to get in my face, even when I got somebody like a big giant in Avalanche trying to get in my face, I'm filled with Macho Madness. You know what Macho Madness is. This isn't the guy that's going to kind of 
tiptoe his way through WCW quietly. He's going to make a lot of noise. He's going to lock knock a lot of people down on the way. That's why he's standing right next to me when it comes to the big power. What a partner you've got. I've got a great partner, Stinger and the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Masters of disasters. Yeah, the sky's the limit. Space is the place. When you go down that aisle at Super Brawl, we're going to do nothing but be victorious, and it's party time. And thank you to Colin for that. Now I can wrap up this month's show. There we go. All right, I'd like to thank, firstly, Chris Lazy. Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. You're welcome, Bob. Uh, Chris, you, a pleasure. you have a podcast looking at WCW in the 80s going into the 90s. Talk us through it. I am doing, with my good friend Tom, a retrospective of all the pay-per-views and TV specials from the very first Starcade of 83 through till up to Clash 30, as it would be now. Um, we've just about to release Clash One. Well, Chris, um, Chris, right, twenty years ago, Mo, now, so you can you can you can say you, you're doing it through to the to, end, up to the death. Yes, <laughs> the 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 very very painful death because I was looking at one of the last pay per views before the end there, and the main event is Animal versus Jeff Jarrett versus Sid versus wow. Scott Steiner in a four corners match for the title. Boy, I can't wait to get to that. Oh, six more some... years, boys. Six more years. But yeah, so just just releasing Clash One this weekend. Uh, Clash Two will be out soon, and uh, starting to get some good stuff in the eighties. You can find us on iTunes, Super Brawls, the Twitter at Super Brawls, and Facebook, Super Brawls. There we go. They're all very good. Um, Chris, you you were talking before we came on air about uh, a uh, what was it? Um, Bunkhouse Stampede from the from, uh, ah yes, the Bunkhouse Stampede of the first pay per view of 1988, the one and only uh, time this happens. An eight man over hang the hang top. Hang on, has TNA done this? Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but this this eight, eight man over the top of the cage Royal Rumble. Has TNA done a version of this? No, they do the reverse Rumble where you have to start outside the ring and get into the ring to win. Go, go, carry on with your explanation. But, Sorry, I cut you off at the yes. wrong point there. Um, it's eight men over the top of a cage battle royal. So the way you win is to throw people over the cage or through the door. And it is as terrible as it sounds. Everyone needs to go and watch it and then oh. listen to our review. Yes. And Wayne Lithgow, thank you very much, Wayne. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you're on Twitter? Yep, WayneL84. That simple, that simple. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris, you're on Twitter yourself? Yes, mine is Lacey555666. Excellent. That will wrap up this volume of the show and, uh, well, this month. I say that we're, we've not actually taken the WWF part yet. Um, but that'll be part one. This will be a, well, what will be quite a long part two now, uh, covering those every class of champions. We'll be back in February with a review of Super Brawl, believe it or not. Um, although I've not got Chris on the show, I don't think, or certainly not the plans at the moment. Um, but anyway, we will be back, uh, for that in February. If you've not listened to volume one yet, reviewing the Royal Rumble, uh, we've not taped it yet, but if you've not listened to it, go back and listen to that now. Uh, we, I am Bob Bamber. I'm at Bobby Bamber on Twitter. Uh, we have, uh, at Wrestling20YRS on Twitter. Uh, facebook.com pulls us wrestling 20 rs we're on itunes and rss you can get all the stuff on the website uh ton of blogs on the website um anything pertaining to this well you can read 
my review of the Clash. I suppose if you haven't already heard it. Um, I did also look at the um, the Three Faces of Fear. What were they thinking? Was the uh, was the title of that blog? And that will do that. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been the January 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>